Good morning, Christ Prez. Our scripture reading today is Mark chapter 2, verses 1 through 12, and I encourage you to pause this and to read that passage if you haven't already done so. Let's just jump right into this story. It's such a great story. I want you to picture the scene with me. Jesus is in a home preaching. The place is busting at the seams with people who are overflowing out into the street. And then we've got five desperate men. One is paralyzed. And I imagine that they're getting frustrated. You'd think maybe people would move aside for four guys carrying a fifth on a mat. But the attitude of the crowd seems to be first come, first served, wait your turn, and no one's moving. But these guys don't give up easily. They go around the crowd, up the stairs on the side of the house, up onto the flat roof, and they begin to break through the tile and clay until they can poke an arm through. Then they make the hole bigger until they can fit a head through, and bigger and bigger until they can finally lower their friend down. So you've got chunks of ceiling debris falling and covering the crowd. And then what? How did they do it? Did Did they bring ropes along? We don't know, but somehow they lower their paralyzed friend down right in front of Jesus. Now you can imagine these four men exhausted on the roof. They've done it. And now they lie back and listen for the sweet sound of Jesus healing their friend. Be healed. Stand up and walk. That's what they want to hear. What they actually hear is, son, your sins are forgiven. The piano player over in the corner stops awkwardly mid-song. An uncomfortable hush falls over the room and all, t- all eyes turn to Jesus. Who said anything about sin? Mark doesn't tell us how the paralytic responded, but how would you have responded? Like Maybe, Jesus, I'm not lying on this mat for the fun of it. I can't walk. And so I'm not here to be forgiven. I have a bigger problem. And you see family Jesus is saying, no, you don't. Think about the situation. You know, at that moment, what the paralyzed man and his four friends want more than anything else in the world is physical healing. Of course they do. I mean, who wouldn't want to be able to walk and who wouldn't want that for their friend? But what we tend to do and what this man was very likely doing was thinking something like this. If only I could walk, if only I could be healed physically, then my life would be right. Then I'd be happy. Then I could handle all my other problems. Then I would be content and satisfied. If only I could walk. I know if I were that man, that's what I would have been setting my hopes on. And I wonder how often do we go to Jesus so that he can help us get things we think will really satisfy us? How often do we go to Jesus so that we can get something else that we think will really save us? If only I had a job, if only I had a different job, if only I were married, if only I were married to someone else, if only I had more money, if only I had more health, if only, if only, if only, you fill in the blank, then life would be as it should be. Then I could be the person I want to be and live the life I want to live. We come to Jesus and we say, here's my problem, fix it. Here's what I really need, give it to me. See, we think we know what our biggest problem is. We think we know what our 
deepest, most urgent need really is. And Jesus is saying, not so fast. You know, there's nothing wrong with wanting good jobs and good marriages and good families. There's nothing wrong with this man wanting to be healed, wanting to be able to walk. These are all good and right desires. It's just that they don't go deep enough. They're good and right desires that so easily become ultimate desires. What would happen if Jesus were to just give this man exactly what he wanted? Get up, take your mat, and go home. I bet he'd be real happy that day, and probably the next day too, and and maybe his sense of joy and satisfaction would last weeks, months, maybe years, because that is a huge transformation. But at some point, he'd wake up one morning and realize that he was at his core, fundamentally the same person he'd always been. He'd wake up and realize that his change had been superficial. What about you? You see, Jesus wants to go deep. He's saying to this man, your most urgent problem isn't your suffering. It's your sin. More than needing to walk right now, you need to know that you are forgiven. See, what we think is like, what I need more than anything is X, Y, or Z. And Jesus says, what you need more than anything is me. And so he starts with forgiveness. He starts by going so deep. Let's get back to the story. Look at verses six and seven. Now, some of the scribes were sitting there questioning in their hearts, why does this man speak like that? He is blaspheming. Who can forgive sins but God alone? The religious leaders are not happy about Jesus forgiving this man. Why are they so upset? They see that Jesus is acting as if he's God. Jesus looks at this man and he says, your sins are forgiven. He's not forgiving the man for one particular wrongdoing. He's not saying, I forgive you for destroying the roof and getting me dirty. No, he's declaring that the man's sins are forgiven. All of them. In the Old Testament, not even the Messiah was expected to forgive sin like this. Only God can do it. The reason only God can do it is that all sin is ultimately against God. Think about that. When we hurt one another, we're wronging the one whose image we bear and to to whom we belong. When we fail to love each other, we're failing to love God's beloved creatures. See, God is always the most offended party when we sin. And so here is Jesus unilaterally forgiving this man's sin, all of it. Do you see the claim he's making? Implicitly, what Jesus is saying is this, I have the authority to to declare the forgiveness of all your sins because all your sin has been against me. Who can make that kind of claim? Only God. And the religious leaders understand this immediately. They see that Jesus is claiming to do something only God can do. And so, of course, they don't believe this man's sins have been forgiven. Why not? Because he hasn't embraced the right religious protocols. All he's done, the only thing he's done, is get in front of Jesus. Verses 8 and 9, And immediately Jesus, perceiving in his spirit that they thus questioned within themselves, said to them, Why do you question these things in your hearts? Which is easier, 
to say to the paralytic, your sins are forgiven, or to say, rise, take up your bed and walk. The point is anyone can say your sins are forgiven uh, because how do you verify something like that? It'd be something like this. While I'm standing here uh, talking to you this morning, at this very moment, I'm also causing a herd of horses to gallop over the plains of West Texas. That's impressive, isn't it? That I have that kind of power. See, it's nice for Jesus to say that the man's sins are forgiven, but why should we believe him? How can we verify it? Well, which is easier, to say your sins are forgiven or to say rise and walk? You see, the second claim, that can be verified. It, can be, it could be verified right then and there. And Jesus backs it up. He gives the proof. He says it, and then the man gets up, and he takes his mat, and he walks. And so since Jesus has the power to accomplish the physical healing, he also has the power to accomplish the spiritual forgiveness of sins. And maybe you can trust that your sins are forgiven because Jesus has the power to physically heal you. Hmm. (laughs) That doesn't really work, does it? Because all of us have experienced some healing, but most of us still have areas where Jesus has not brought healing into our lives. At least not the healing we want. And if Jesus hasn't told us to get up, take our mats and go home, And if he hasn't brought the visible, physical healing, can we really trust that he has done the invisible, spiritual work of forgiving our sin? How can you trust that? Which is easier, to say your sins are forgiven or rise and walk? Which is easier? Is it easier to heal someone who is paralyzed Or is it easier to forgive someone's sin? Let's put it a little bit differently. Is it more difficult for Jesus to do a physical healing or for a good God who opposes evil with every fabric of his being to forgive our sin, every bit of which has been against him? See, when you think about it, maybe it's actually more difficult to forgive sin When someone really wrongs you, hurts you, does something horrible against you, is it easy to forgive? No. If someone accidentally bumps your elbow and causes you to spill your coffee, you might say, don't worry about it. It's no big deal. But when someone really wrongs you, really sins against you, I mean, we never say that, do we? That it's no big deal. Don't worry about it. Forgiving serious wrongdoing is difficult. And you all know this. I mean, some of you have been carrying hurts with you for decades because forgiveness is so hard. And if you've ever actually forgiven someone for for a deep wrong, for horribly hurting you, you know what it feels like. It feels like death at first. It'd be much easier to pay the person back, but you don't. You absorb the pain of it and it hurts. What about when God forgives? Remember, he's not just forgiving a few wrongdoings here and there. All sin has been sin against him. For God to forgive, maybe it doesn't just feel like death. Maybe it is death. 
the cross is already casting its shadow here in Mark chapter 2. The religious leader said Jesus was blaspheming. That was an offense which called for the death penalty, according to Old Testament law. Jesus could have just stopped at that point. He could have said, yeah, you're right. I'm out of line. I'll go through the right religious hoops and I'll, and I'll be forgiven myself. But instead, he keeps pressing. He goes through with the healing. He insists that he really does have the authority to forgive sin. And by doing that, family, do you see he's sealing his fate and he knows it. Jesus knows that if he heals this man's legs, he's guaranteeing that one day his own legs will be nailed immobile to the cross. And then Jesus goes through with it. He heals the man. The man takes up his mat and goes home. And later Jesus takes up his cross and he dies. How can we trust that Jesus has forgiven our sin and that he will heal us physically, if not now, one day? Well, look at his love for you in his life and in his death. It's not love that says our sin is okay. It's love that sees sin for what it is, but then moves to forgive it and end it. Isn't that the kind of love that we need? Not some kind of limp love that says we're okay and that our sin is okay, but love that says, I'm going to lay down my life for you because I forgive you and want to save you. In our passage, Jesus says, you can trust that I have forgiven you because I've healed you. Jesus says, if I have healed his legs, his sins really are forgiven. I think one of the things Jesus is saying to us is, you can trust that I will heal you entirely, fully, because I forgive your sin. Since he has forgiven our sin, he really will one day heal our bodies. And so maybe, family, you can trust that even when you don't get the healing you want right here and right now, you will get it one day because he has already done the much harder work. He has already removed our sin from us as far as the east is from the west. So what about right here and right now? You know, Mark seems to be holding up these five friends as a model of faith. There were tons of people in the crowd, but in Mark, crowds are not the people you want to be. The crowds are usually the people who are just kind of standing around, listening, but not acting, observing, but not following, interested, but not committed. Jesus, though, looks at these guys and he sees faith, these five guys. This is the first time faith is mentioned in Mark's gospel. And, and what is faith here in this story? It's defined by action. Mark doesn't tell us anything about what the men were thinking. He doesn't tell us anything about what they were feeling. He doesn't tell us anything about what, what was going on in their minds and hearts. He just tells us what they did. They did whatever it took to get their friend in front of Jesus. My old teacher, Jim Edwards, puts it like this. Faith is first and foremost, not knowledge about Jesus, but act of trust that Jesus is sufficient for one's deepest and most heartfelt needs. It's just what our faith is like. 
one of the wonderful things about the Lord's table is that it gives us an opportunity week after week to exercise faith. It doesn't ask us to believe all the right things. It doesn't ask us to have a profound emotional or spiritual experience. The invitation is simply to do whatever it takes to get into the presence of Jesus. And he's not stingy with his presence. I mean, he's here at his table. He's the host of this meal and he is ready to declare you forgiven. Now, maybe that messes with your understanding of forgiveness. I mean, what we so often think is that if we're really going to be forgiven, we need to approach God in the exact right way, with the exact right motives, and with appropriate sorrow for our sin, and with a willingness to confess our sin and to repent. But in this story, the guy approaches Jesus with none of that. He's not seeking forgiveness at all. He's not confessing. He's not repenting. I mean, none of that is even on his radar. This just wasn't why his friends were bringing him to Jesus. And Jesus says, son, your sins are forgiven. Jesus declares unilateral forgiveness of sin that just doesn't depend on this guy at all. Do you see this family that you can go to Jesus with what you've got? And if you do that, it'll be enough. Ask for his help. Tell him you know you don't have it all together and see what happens. Even if you don't know what you need, he does. And he's so full of grace for you. In the end, it's so much more important that we go to Jesus than how we go to him. What gets us forgiven isn't the strength of our faith, the rightness of our motives, our ability to sort out what we really need from what we only think we need. No, it's Jesus who forgives us. And he doesn't need our help. And so let's come to this table and let's put our faith to action. And let's trust that Jesus will give us what we really need. Forgiveness and all the rest. In the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Amen.